You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Romans chapter 7, on your way there, you want to look at a picture from last week. I had a lot of good pictures come in. I hope maybe as you come in, I don't know which doors you come in from, but they're all hanging about three weeks worth of pictures back there. And uh, take a look sometime and see what uh, the kids are drawing. I can't show everyone on a Sunday, but, um, but they're neat to see. And I think I've got one here from Stuart from last week. Where am I looking for Stuart? Somewhere there. Okay, over there. Oh, he's in the nursery already? Okay, Stuart, if you can hear me back there, your picture is up here. So he drew this, and I think Dad helped right in because this is what Stuart wanted to be there, the way to God and the way to fire and flame, and Christ being that way for us, and then a live a life bearing fruit in sanctification. We were looking at that picture last week again, so appreciate Stuart and all the rest looking at those as we go along. I want to take your attention. If you're in Romans 7, I'm going to do something here. I want to start back at the beginning of chapter 6. Because all of, I've put 7 in with 6, at least the first 6 verses. Um, There could be some debate about that. But I want to read to you chapter 6 into 7, get the full range. Because I think in a way, we're kind of closing out this particular section in a way. And and then moving on uh, next week into verse uh, Seven. So let me start at Romans 6. Again, read familiar territory, but listen to it again. Let's listen to God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray again. Lord, I just commit this time in your word to you. This is the word that you have written, breathed out to authors, true and infallible and without error. Help us to hear its message today, your message, through the Apostle Paul. Lord, guide me in the delivery of that to be clear of mind and with clarity in what I have to say and comment upon your very word. So may your spirit guide us in this time that you would stir in our hearts uh, to see you and to see our, our place with you that much brighter all because of your grace. So guide our time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The idea of belonging, I think, is inherent to humanity. We want to belong to things. You might think of yourself belonging to a church or belonging to a family or maybe there's a club you belong to. I know there's a, there's a gun club or there's collector clubs and there, there are all sorts of clubs, aren't there? All of you, if we asked each of you, we would be amazed at probably some of the interests and associations and things that you're involved with and the collectible things you do. For some, it's FFA or 4-H, or some, you belong to a, a college, an alma mater. That's, that was a group you were with. Perhaps one of the most treasured belongings, a husband and a wife that belong to one another. It's this idea of belonging. And the text today, which is God's Word, it calls us to consider who we belong to. Who do you really belong to? It's not asking about some club. It's really asking about a person. If you 
belong to Christ. If your faith and trust is in Christ, then you belong to him. And we want to look at that. Let's head to our text in verse 1 of chapter 7. And look at this again as we kind of work through Paul's both. He's got an illustration here, and then he's kind of explaining and going into it. So verse 1 sets the general idea. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Paul here refers to the recipients as brothers. And you're going to see it in verse 4. He, he calls them my brothers. So this is not Paul writing to just an anonymous group. He considers them brothers. And brothers, I think, in Christ. And further, he's writing to a people who, he says, I'm speaking to those who, who know the law. And so a question come up. At, at first glance, it would seem, and to me, Perhaps this is the, the, maybe a Christian Jewish audience that knows the law. You think of the law of Moses and the, the Ten Commandments, this Jewish audience in Rome, that, that you guys know the law. But Paul, in this letter already, we've looked at, I think it's uh, chapter 2, that both Jew and Gentile understand the law. The Jews have the law. The Gentiles have a law written on the heart. From my study, it seems Paul lays out here what he's going to lay out from the law. It's got an application, whether you're a Jew or simply a Roman citizen living in Rome, where Paul's writing this letter to, there's a sense in everyone of understanding law, that laws are there. And so everyone could understand what Paul's going to speak about. And that is, his assertion is that the law rules only while one is living or alive. The implication here, this is kind of a, a broad statement, once somebody dies, the law no longer rules. Doug, Doug Moo here quotes how the Jewish rabbis perceive death and the law. He says this, or quotes this, If a person is dead, he is free from the Torah, that is, the, we think of the, the, all, the law of the Old Testament, really the first five books there, and the fulfilling of the commandments. So it's a, if a person is dead, he's free from those commandments. That was even a Jewish rabbi perspective. So Paul's not introducing some new knowledge here. He's just applying what those already knew. They knew of the laws, the the binding nature of the law, but only while one was alive. And so laying out the general principle, Paul heads to an illustration. And out of any illustrations he might use, he lands on the marriage of a husband and wife. That's the illustration he's going to bring forward here. Look at verses 2 and three. I'll read them together. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So Paul presents, there's two scenarios here in this illustration of marriage. One, if the husband's alive, that's scenario one. Secondly, what if the husband is is dead? And these are going to form the background for what he's going to bring out in teaching at verse 4 and following. So, while the husband is alive, alive, scenario number one, if the wife should, I think the ESV says live with, or the NASB says joined to, or the NIV says, if the wife should have sexual relations with another. It's literally the word there is belong to another. I think we can see a word thinking of marriage there, and that'll come up later as well. If that 
takes place while the husband is alive, the, the real husband, the, the true husband, then she will be called an adulteress. Now, Jesus himself speaks about this, and he echoes back to creation in Mark chapter 10. He says, verses 6 through 9, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That, that's God in creation. Mark 10, 7 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He says, what, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So marriage is not just, it's not just an American institution. This, this is a creation institution. And verse 2, our verse 2 here in our text, declares the wife is bound her husband by law. In fact, bound continually. The word here, the Greek wording here, it has the idea of something that has started and continues. So for a married woman is bound by law to her husband is these vows, whatever the ceremony looks like, they bind one on that day and then they, and the next day and so forth continually. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 7. He says this, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. So this is the normal expectation of God's view of marriage. It's, it's normally a lifelong commitment. Till death do us part. Now, Paul here is not so much expounding on divorce and remarriage. Questions might come up in that regard. I think there's other portions of Scripture that speak. They can speak to situations of desertion by the unbelieving spouse, cases of sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 7 is a place to go for some of that. There's other places. Paul's case here, though, what he's using here is looking at this idea, this permanent bond idea of marriage to make a point. Now, just as an aside, since we're here and talking about marriage, you who are married, consider this, and those who are desiring marriage one day, consider the degree to which marriage is permanent. We live in a time of easy divorce and People maybe just foregoing marriage altogether. This is not God's good design. There's exceptions. God's gracious, but we need to heed the permanence of marriage. And then the witness that marriage is to his church. Did we just lose me? No. We're okay. All right. Good. Okay. Sorry. I've got to check myself. All right. Um, so that's our application, looking at your own marriage. Let's come back, though. Here's scenario number two. If the husband should die. All right. Paul notes here, what if the husband dies? And the note, for the sake of illustration, is kind of a what-if question. What if the husband dies? In that case, is the wife still bound? The answer there is no. This is what Paul is getting at. She is free from that law. She's not an adulteress. So if she should belong to or marry another, there's, I think, again, that idea, the, the belonging to, the marrying another, that's not sin. That's, that's, that's okay. The law does not bind anymore in the case of death. Death severs those ties. All right, all that's the illustration of marriage and the permanence setting up for verse 4. Let me just read the first part of verse 4. Now Paul gets into the explanation. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died 
to the law through the body of Christ. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Paul, again, starts this transition, transition, my brothers. He's addressing fellow believers in Christ. He's urging them along to take hold of this powerful gospel of God. And so Paul emphatically states it. You don't maybe see it so much here in the original language. It's one of those doubles, like my brothers, you all, you all. It's, there's kind of a doubling there. You also, you have died. But even the actual dying part is passive. We think of maybe active verbs and passive. This is passive. Something has happened upon someone, happened to someone. So another way, I think it's Leon Morris says, you could translate it this way, you were put to death. So this is God at work here. And again, to echo what we read from verse 17 of chapter 6, thanks be to God. This is God at work in this death to the law through the body of Christ. But then we get to this essence of the illustration, which is just a little challenging. And I take heart that Peter finds Paul's words, again, challenging at times. Because we're asking here, as Paul begins to explain, we've got the illustration of marriage, and then he's going to begin to explain it. Just who is who here? Who, who are we? Uh, is it the law? Is, is the law here representative of the husband that dies? You fill in the blank. The husband that dies, the law here dies. Perhaps is it our old self that dies? There's some questions there. It, it might be easy to see the law as all bad, but that's not how Paul sees it. Even the next chapter, he's going to say the law is holy, the commandments holy and righteous and good. And yet, the law demands, and it holds us captive. Without a work of God, our sinful passions, we're going to see in verse 5, aroused by the law, are at work. So a death must take place. And I think here it's, it's a death to the power or the demands of the law in the sinful flesh. Paul's point is to emphasize our release from this binding demanding nature of the law. We've died to it. We've been crucified with Christ. So we belong to another. Not surprisingly here, we've died to the law through what? Through the body of Christ. That's what we're going to remember today in communion, where Jesus says, this is my body. So we've been united with Christ in death. We've been buried with him. That's what we've been seeing through chapter 6. Our old self crucified with him. That's verse 6. In order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing. Our release to the law's demands on us is bound to the body of Christ to be in him. So look at the second part of verse 4. First part says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. The glory of our life in Christ is that through the glorious power and display of love and sacrifice in Christ, we belong to another. Not just any other, but to Christ. Christ paid the penalty for our sins in his body, on our behalf, on the cross, so that all who look to him by faith, by God's gracious faith, 
are united with Christ by the Spirit to live in a new life. Think about this. You who are a Christian, you are a Christian. You look to Christ. Your trust is in Christ. You belong to Christ. The implications of that, what, what does that mean? You have been purchased. You've been ransomed. You've been redeemed. You've been loved. You've been predestined. You've been lost. You're found. You were cursed. You're now blessed. You were in darkness. You're now in light. You were ashamed, but made new. And it's all through the grace of God for you in Christ Jesus and in no other. God has done all this by His magnificent grace, by His Spirit. Further, we don't belong to one who stayed dead. Did you see it there in the verse? You belong to another. To who? To Him who has been raised from the dead. Our union with Christ doesn't mean we stay dead. We actually come alive as He has come alive. Death and sin no longer have dominion over us in Christ. And so, having all that belonging to Christ, certain outcomes, certain fruit is going to come through that relationship and that belonging when you belong to the Creator of heaven and earth. You belong to fruitful living. Keeping in mind, any spiritual fruit we bear is as we are abiding in, connected to the vine, connected to Christ. Madeline went and helped me pick some more fruit yesterday. Probably the last fruit we'll pick this year. But we got this one. This is kind of a cool one because it's still connected. That fruit is connected to the vine. That's how it grows. It will not grow just by placing it somewhere. It's got to be connected. That's the connectivity here of being connected to Christ. It's not on our own. Go read your Bible. Do these commands. Go try harder. Just hope you get it. Stay positive. It's connected to Christ. And we're not surprised by that, but we need to remember that. And, and I'd say we need to remember that daily, hourly, not just for a Sunday morning. Oh, the pastor's preaching about Christ again. I guess we should talk about Him on a Sunday. This is hour, minute by minute. We need Jesus and be connected to Him. He's our salvation. And in fact, we belong to Him. Paul explains further in verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Paul here heads back to a time when we were living in the flesh. Kind of looked at that last week as well. We were held under the rule of the law, the, the desires for sin, which through the law were at work. They bore this fruit for death. Verse 21, last week, talked about those things that you're now ashamed of. What fruit were you getting? Things that lead to death. Things you're ashamed about. Most of the translate, the ESV, NASB, NIV, talk about these sinful passions being aroused by the law. Somehow the the law stimulates these sinful passions. And so Paul's intention here is to say that in a way, the law influenced. It stirred up the sinful passions within. And we might ask, how is that? How, how does that take place? How does that, what's at work in this? Leon Morris quotes from a 
from Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher in England who's now, who's now died, said this, uh, comments that the passions, these sinful passions, are actually inflamed even by the law of God. The very law that prohibits them encourages us to do them because we are impure. So morality teaching can even be a positive danger. That is just teaching, just morals, just do better, be good. Here's the law, just follow it. And it can actually arouse in us and our sinful passions a desire to go against it. Now we're going to look at this more as we get into chapter 7 and further. Contextually, and I love it, just help us, verse 7 and 8 here, Paul looks at this. I think we've seen this before. And you could fill in the blank, I think, with any such sin. Many of us are going to struggle in different areas, but he says here in this passage, for our, Paul says, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had, had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And Doug Moo writes this and. Maybe it's helpful for us trying to wrestle, think through this. He says the law, in setting forth God's standards, so the law in and of itself is not bad. Paul doesn't say it's, it's bad or a bad thing. But in setting forth God's standard, it arouses sins by stimulating human beings' innate rebelliousness against God. And is that not, I think, the key word here? This sinful nature, our innate rebellion cannot help but be stimulated to rebel when the law is laid down for instance i know it's probably my go-to illustration the speed limit that would say 55 i think most if not all of us if somebody's going 50 we're going you're come on you're going so slow get to the the limit we just want and many of you have that that the idea the the five over idea you can get into all those uh, before and think about that. It, there's, isn't it? When there's this limit, there's just the, the boundary and the testing of it. Or think of even marriage our day, to use the illustration used here and thinking of marriage between one man, one woman, and just the boundaries that get tested in that. Our sinful passions are at work in our members bearing fruit for death. We should be aware of that. But then look at verse 6. You're in the flesh. Your passions, aroused by the law, they're at work. Look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the, the old way of the written code. Here's the glorious truth of verse 6. In light of this bondage to sin, bearing fruits for death, there are these two words, but now, but now. We've been released from the law. We've died to that which held us so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit. The word released here takes us back again. Now we're back to Paul's marriage illustration. The law was like a marriage, and as long as it was alive, it it bound us by law, even the law of our sinful passions, to sin and to bearing fruit unto death. But now we've been, we've been released. We've, we've died to that which held us captive. The chains are truly gone. Whether, whether we realize that or not, they are. They're, 
These restraints, the, the tie-down straps of the law that bound us to sinful fruit-bearing, they are no more. This is all in Christ, by a work of God, by His Spirit, and so the purpose of it all is to serve in a new way of the Spirit. That's going to echo verse 4 of chapter 6. The, the same Holy Spirit that gives us new life in Christ continues that work in us, in our flesh, towards sanctification. We looked at last week, the end, eternal life. Paul says elsewhere, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There is more to come in chapter 7, but here I think Paul's just come full circle back from the beginning of chapter 6. What it means to, as you've seen in the bulletin week by week, to be dead to sin and alive in Christ, alive to God in Christ. That is who we are. Romans 6.4 said it this way, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The message here, if you be in Christ, if you are in Christ, you have died to the law's demands in your sinful flesh. You've died to belong to another, that is, to Jesus Christ. And your belonging means bearing fruit in Him by His Spirit which lives in you. By God's grace, through the regeneration of His Spirit, producing faith even in you to look to Christ, you are a new creation. So in Christ, having been released from the bonds of the law, not for more lawlessness, but to bear fruit unto God. Fruits that, that look like the vine you're attached to. Fruits that look like Christ. Because, dear brother or sister in Christ, you belong to Him. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge again that there are truths here that we can only scratch a surface, even with our, our finite minds, of just what you have done for us, that you have put to death our, our sinful life, that we are made alive and new in Jesus Christ by your grace. And so, Lord, beyond any club or organization or thing of this world, that in Christ we belong to Christ. We are of Christ. We are yours this morning, this afternoon, on a Monday morning, when great suffering comes, when sunshiny days are here, Lord, and for eternity. By your grace, you have brought us to yourself, purchased us out of our slavery to be joyful slaves of you. Or may we relish in these truths and as we come to a time of communion and to remember this gospel, may it sink that much deeper into our hearts.
You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.